Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Welcome to Machine Learning. Okay, I have some thoughts on data lakes. Seems like I've been getting some different types of job interviews, and they all relate to your knowledge of Python and data lakes. And particularly, they're very interested in running Python as PySpark. And, um, you know, I look at that and I go, why PySpark? Well, PySpark is a port of Python to the uh, Apache server. And it deviates from the Python library set in that you now have different uh, set of code from the main like sklearn libraries or Keras libraries, you end up with a, a PySpark library. And you're dealing with RDDD. And when you're talking to like a, uh, a cluster. And that's kind of disturbing because as I look at my main machine learning code and my AI code, I, uh, there's a uh, general feel that you want to, to uh, keep in the code set that you're familiar with and everyone else is familiar with. And uh, if the world all moved to PySpark, I would agree that PySpark is the way to go. In fact, I, I actually had advocated that that PySpark was better engineered than the Python libraries that we have, just because the syntax was more like a C-sharp <clears throat> feel to it. But the world hasn't moved to PySpark. It's still using Python libraries. And... Uh, for that reason, I, I feel like that I'd want to find the same solution, but in a Python uh, world, running on on a Windows server versus a Linux server. And why Windows? Well, Windows because of the library sets that are coming out. That Microsoft is building more tools to accommodate Python. I really, I think it's quite interesting that Microsoft continues to move along the C-sharp route. It's almost like, you know, the, the Java camp where they everyone that's Java stays Java and everyone that's Windows goes Windows. But now you, you have a serious contender 
called Python. And, you know, getting that interview, listening to the process of how they wanted to extract data from the data lake, transform it, um, that led me to kind of believe that what the world's trying to do is move to Python. Now, they weren't they weren't particularly interested in my .NET Core experience. They were using everything was Python based: the Django, PySpark, uh, AWS with Photo three, and you know they're building these powerful pipelines, and they're doing it all in Python, Python script, and so. I think that the world is moving to Python. Now, could they come up with a cloud-based, like Azure-based pipeline um, that was written in Python? I think that that's going to become really powerful um, in that we now could have a standardized code set that developers can easily jump in and start doing development with speed of development. And you know, and as I, I think about the designs and I think about the architectures of the cloud, it's has you know complex authentication process. But at the same time, everything on the cloud is about scalability. It's about the fabric. It's about the um, isolation of a particular set of services. It's uh, it's uh, realizing that uh, things have to be scalable high availability, and so forth. Um, and, I, and I think that, you know, the world as a developer is a lot about working inside of that fabric, inside that, that network of cloud-based. And, and, you know, cloud-based is not just a singular event. It's not, it's not just uh, uh, about the infrastructure, it's about the interconnectability, even in the cloud. You might have cloud-to-cloud -cloud, uh, processing. And all this hardware, you know, huge data centers with lots of servers, you know, will they next generation of machines start to move the chips vertical. And so instead of a box where you have, you know, 100 cores, now are we moving to the million core uh, architecture? And, and with the million core architecture, what can we expect from the performance? And so 
I think, you know, there's going to be more AI, more visualization. If Facebook is building huge data centers just to power their AI, it tells you that the future will be AI and lots more development in the data science arena. So I wasn't surprised to have the interview, but it was kind of disappointing that the skill sets that I had didn't line up. In other words, you know, I didn't have the three years of uh, PySpark experience. So what that told me is I need to get a, a job working on a cluster somewhere, probably as an entry-level developer, get a couple of years of experience working on that, and then move to uh, bigger projects. But I did like the idea of the startup because of the fast pace and the potential that it could have a breakthrough. But I'm not particularly excited about um, renewables, but I do know that renewables are the new thing. You know, they're trying to scale the renewables, lots and lots of, of uh, solar and wind and even wave technology. But the real power has to come from nuclear. It's the heavy lifter. It's going to produce the most amount of power and decentralized energy production. So it's interesting that America would move towards the solar campaign, putting solar panels on the roof, because it uh, is expensive. It's about a 20-year return on your investment. and But you get the, the tax breaks and things like that that are helpful to the... Uh, to the person, the, the consumer. But I haven't done it because I know it's expensive. And it has to cost at least between forty to $60,000 to put a, a, all the solar powers uh, panels on your roof. Even if you're paying a monthly fee and they're showing you, oh, if you put, if you put this on, it's it's gonna with all the tax incentives and the cost savings and the electricity, you're gonna make X amount of dollars, or it's only gonna cost you a few dollars. But everyone that I see that's doing that, um, they kind of have a gimmick, or they like to. Not necessarily gimmick, but they they uh, they seem to be taken in on the idea that they're helping save the environment by going solar. Well, and, and the idea behind that is is electricity uses natural gas, and natural gas emits carbon. So by going with a zero carbon footprint, you're helping the environment. And uh, 
and that's that seems to be what I think is why people are going green. It's like the the question of why buy a seventy five thousand dollar electric vehicle if you could get it even in on at that price. You could buy two almost buy two Ford F fifty lightnings for that price. Um But you know it, it's at gas almost at five dollars a gallon. Electric is a is appealing, and uh, there's this uh, you know kind of this stronger move towards building companies that are centered around electric vehicles. When you think about, like, say your commute is about 20 to 40 miles per day and you have an electric truck and you're getting, in the city, let's say you're getting 14 miles to a gallon, 14 to 18 miles to a gallon, 18 tops, that is expensive to operate that vehicle. And so the cost to operate vehicle um per day and the cost per month will drive the substitution for the gas-powered cars for the electric-powered cars. And I think that's kind of what the uh, the car makers or automakers believe. But I think that the political process has really crippled or hurt the automobile process because, you know, mandating zero carbon by a certain amount of time, that's going to put a lot of pressure on the automobile industries to switch their production lines to electric. And, you know, once they do that, there's a solid commitment towards electric. They're not going to be reverting back to um gas-powered cars. So maybe in the future, driving a gas-powered car will be almost like driving a uh, Model T, you know. You do it kind of on show, and I don't know, maybe you figure a way to run your vehicle um, on water. So you can do some sort of browning in water, modify the internal combustion engine, and uh, you know you can now drive your your V8 uh, muscle car on water. But um, it's interesting in my mind to see how the political process has somewhat handicapped the um, automobile makers. You know, I remember in the late 80s, uh, Chrysler having problems, Lee Iacocca leading it, and the government having to step in. You know, it seems like the government had to step in with GM. You know, 
these companies are connected to political process. And I remember a couple of CEOs that were basically fired by the board because they weren't, um, that the political process wasn't happy with them. And, and so for that reason, I alone, that it, it, that bothers me that a political process can influence a private corporate pro leadership because they like or dislike one of the, the, the leaders. And so, you know, that level of entanglement is not good. But the better principle is to keep yourself a independent, free, capitalistic mark business and don't entangle yourself with government or political processes where they can come in and tell you how to run your business. And that being said, we know that there are big companies like Oracle and Sun who had become wealthy through government contracts. And that government contracts are a huge way of companies making money. And maybe one of the fastest growing, one of the fa fastest growing sectors in a lot of companies are the, the, the government divisions. Because they, they spend large blocks of money or the things that they need built or service. But if the government political process can influence the day-to-day -day, um, leadership of a company, then I'd say it's, it's wrong because in essence they're running the company. And uh, you wouldn't put the customer or the uh, leadership at the head of the company. You might listen to the customer. You might uh, adjust your processes to the needs of a customer, but you shouldn't surrender your leadership to the customer. Well, again, we've had some interesting podcasts yesterday. Um, I talked about the problem with deflation, its rise and fall, uh, problems with inflation, the unsustainability of inflation in 2022 that the only way to sustain inflation at the rate it is is to keep gold prices low. And so as gold prices begin to inch up, that worries investors that the valuation of that dollar is becoming cheaper. And so, you know, at some point you have 
scenario where you take a barrel of money just to buy a loaf of bread. Wheelbarrow of money for a loaf of bread. Which is sad because it means that the political process has destroyed the currency. And the politicians know what they need to do. As they did uh, in the 90s where 80s and 90s where they began to pay down the debt. And Trump was supposed to pay down the debt. A little bit disturbed about the song and dance for Trump because I had thought that Trump was on the side of America. He He said, let's make America great. He gave tax cuts. But nothing happened with our national debt. Nothing. And that means that he could not get bipartisan cooperation to reduce national debt. That was topic number one, even above health care. And now health care, with its rising cost, has become almost a joke because the cost per month continues to climb. And my percentage, with only one child dependent on the health care, is still very expensive per month, reaching almost $800 a month. And so what I've been doing is putting my money in the HSA because I realize that by doing so, I can lower my tax bracket and not have to pay so much in taxes and still accumulate a health savings plan that will uh, provide a way for me to have funds in the case that I don't have insurance. I can use that HSA to help um, in my medical costs. But if you look at the cost of procedures, they continue to climb, the costs continue to climb, and um, things are still very expensive. It would be almost better if we moved away from insurance, per se, and move to something like pay-as-you-go, like they do in Hong Kong. Or if you need a surgery, you go pay for the surgery. If you need to see a doctor, you pay money to see the doctor. You don't go in, show your insurance card, and then get uh, the insurance bill, and then you get the bill after the fact. You know right up front how much it's going to cost you, and you make that payment right then. You know, what? why can't we have a family doctor or, a, like, in the community doctor? Some corporations have done that. They realize the cost of their health care, 
and they realized that, you know, they could have a family doctor that they hire full-time, and now their employees could have access to the doctor through the, through the, the company. And, you know, he could also make referrals for surgery, so the surgeries and so forth could still be accomplished through the reg, regular healthcare network. But the for things that uh, would be general practitioner, you could go to the community doctor or the corporate doctor. I thought that was a really good idea, to tell you the truth. And uh, the other thing is... Uh, Funds where corporations create a fund, and then from that fund they they um, they create their own insurance. And the the key to that is having enough subscribers to balance out the cost and keeping the cost uh, relatively low um, in relationship to the uh, premiums, the premiums low in relationships to the payouts. So um, it, it all comes down to premiums and payouts. 